0: Listening to Shoot It Now, your weekly podcast about indie filmmaking and big budget films, with award winning filmmaker Craig Newland.
1: And welcome to another Shoot It Now podcast. I'm joined by a writer, director and actor and probably everything else in between because this person has managed to pull off a micro-budget feature film single-handedly and all shot on an iPhone. And if you've been thinking about your own film script and just how hard it is to get it turned into a film, then this episode is tailor-made for you. Jennifer Zhang, Welcome. To Shoot It Now.
0: Very happy to be here. Very shocked and happy to be here.
1: (laughs) Well great to have you on and you are the first filmmaker on Shoot It Now to come from a micro-budget iPhone shot featured film and I want to start there because so many short films have been shot on iPhones but yours is a feature film which increases the amount of time and effort. So how much of a consideration was that for you?
0: It wasn't too much of a consideration only in that we all found ourselves with infinite time <laughs> last year. Prompted by the start of the COVID lockdown and it was pretty much at the very, very beginning. And I had a few projects that got put on hold like everybody in Hollywood because of, you know, the state of things and, and it was really tough when you had funding just ready to go and suddenly, you know, pumping the brakes on it. So when it came to like whether or not I was going to make a short film or a feature film, it just seemed like, by my best estimates, I was probably going to be locked in my apartment for at least a month. And then I thought, I think I can make a feature film, and I think I can make it in a month. So I wrote a feature script uh, set entirely in the one location, which was my apartment, and all the props and everything in the premise were all things I already had at my disposal around me, so I didn't have to make any purchases and at that point, you know, there was really no excuse not to do it. I mean, what else was I doing with my time and effort? It ended up being more than a one-month effort. It turned into, you know, a three-month effort with an additional month for post. So I was, I was off by a little bit, but a feature film came out the other end of it. So,
1: How long, Jennifer, did it take you to write the script?
0: My background is I, I'm an instructor with Save the Cat, Which is a set of screenwriting principles that have kind of become like, you know, a mainstay in Hollywood and and throughout the studio system and stuff. So in a way, I'm a very fast writer. And I know that sounds like a brag, but it's mainly just because it's I've had to structure people's stories or help them structure stories and structure my own stories at a rapid pace. My mentor, Blake Snyder, who, you know, wrote Save the Cat, where he used to write a screenplay, a full feature in two weeks. Mm -hmm. So that ended up being the goal for me was I have to get to the point in my career where from the moment I'm given like a premise for a screenplay, I should be able to pump out a first draft within two weeks. And so I've held myself to that. So this particular script, it's a 75 page script. um, And I think I wrote it in four days. You know, a lot of that was driven by anxiety over the situation, right? Like I think when I feel like a lot of writers, when you feel something intensely, you write better. Mm -hmm.
1: Considering your structured components and restrictions to the shoot itself, like a one location or being confined to the space of your apartment, how much of that played into the way that you wrote the scripts? Because it might sound simple enough to some people, but in reality, restrictions create the writing challenge.
0: Right, right, exactly. Well, there was a lot that went into the planning of it in that born out of like long-time struggle and experience in this industry. It's like I know when it comes to a film, it's not just writing a story, right? You have to consider the sale of it eventually. And there were a lot of things that I listed as being things I needed to do with this particular script to, to accomplish, right? The one location thing, very restrictive, but if you look at some of the unofficial rules, right? Like in the first 10 minutes, you want to have either violence or sex or animals, That's what that's what gets people interested or hooked in a very primal way right from the start. So I was like, okay, in the first few, you know, in the first few minutes, I need to make it seem like there's going to be violence or there's going to be like at least partial nudity, which ended up not being, you know.
1: Well, I never saw any nudity. I think you're just teasing people, aren't you?
0: (laughs) I am, and now we've totally oh, now we've totally blown my cover. (laughs) But there are. I also have three pet rabbits who feature very prominently in the script. So right there, I was like, okay, I got to incorporate the promise of nudity, violence, and like adorable animals. I got to write to the limitations of my space, right? I only have a living room, a bedroom, and a uh, and a bathroom. So I'm like, interesting stuff needs to happen in each one of those spaces. They have to each serve a very clear function and they each have to symbolize something in this character's uh, struggle. And then I had to write to what props what interesting props i had in the space like what actually in an apartment poses danger so as you can see a lot of restrictions but when you're um you know a lot of these film festivals out there these 72 hour film festivals do exactly this which is issue you like a guard rails or challenges like incorporate a rubber chicken and like this quote in mm-hmm. your final product right and and what you find is when you have those restrictions, it actually ends up inspiring creativity, because you're trying to form an interesting story around things that seem kind of non sequitur. So that's kind of the state of mind I found myself in when I was trying to create this script, it became partially a, a script, like a story, but partially a challenge, like a, a puzzle that I had to figure out, right? The puzzle was how do you make an interesting, well paced, dramatic narrative, that's feature length, in one location and it kind of just became this irresistible challenge to me and I had nothing better to do you know well <laughs> that's that was kind of the the blessing and the curse of covid lockdown
1: and the other thing that you restricted yourself to was not outsourcing any of the equipment the props the lights etc in other words what you had in your apartment was what you had to work with
0: exactly and i and i could have purchased things but, I, you know, it just seemed at the time more interesting to me to make do with what I had. So in scenes where I had blood, I had to go through my fridge and s- <laughs> see what I could right. mix up that might look like fake blood. It was it was that kind of challenge. And the thing is, had I known that this project was going to take off the way it has and get as much attention as it has been getting, I definitely would have just bought some freaking fl- fake blood. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I would have I would have made things a little bit you know, a little easier for myself and and more realistic uh, for screen. But but at the time, I saw it as a passion project and personal challenge.
1: And the film itself is not a lockdown movie, but rather something else by cleverly working around the whole lockdown fatigue had it been set in our current world. So tell our audience about the premise of the film.
0: Sure. So the premise of the film is that there is a woman who is a notorious criminal. She was a hacker in a former life. And because of the damage that she did to society with, you know, which she committed um, she's under house arrest and the authorities have made it so that she doesn't have access to the internet in any open way, right? She has access to one person, which is her boyfriend um, that she can communicate with uh, for a limited amount of time every day. And Her whole world is centered around her apartment and just trying to get through her mundane day to the evening when she could talk to her boyfriend. It's the one thing that kind of keeps her going through her house arrest. But he starts acting strange and he starts being erratic and at a certain point he has some very dark and perverse requests of her. And so the thing is she needs to unravel the mystery of why all this is happening to her while stuck in her apartment. Um, and things get kind of bizarre. So that's, that's the premise. And the, the thing about it is, you know, initially it, it didn't even occur to me to do a lockdown movie about COVID lockdown. And the main reason why that was so was I have a lot of filmmaker friends and on social media, I could see that a lot of them were at least kicking around the idea of doing a COVID based short film to kind of document their experiences. Right. But what we went through was so unique worldwide, right? Because I feel like when you watch movies, it's either to relate to what's going on or to escape what's going on. And in this particular case, we were all going through the same hell at the same time. And my my guess was that after the initial first two weeks of consuming like COVID-based or pandemic-based content, people were not going to be interested in witnessing other people's pain when they themselves were stuck in the same... Pain. Like everyone's story is going to be more interesting to themselves than someone else's story in the same, you know, going through the same ordeal. So that was kind of what I was banking on as something that would make my project stand out. I'm lucky in that that ended up being an accurate prediction because I've since talked to a lot of festival organizers where my film was accepted. They've candidly told me they got really tired of seeing film submissions from people that were COVID based it ended up being that everyone kind of had the same idea. And I get it, you know, like artists like to reflect their truth on film and, and all that. But at the end of the day, the festivals were inundated with a glut of a lot of the same kind of story. So so that's kind of what I thought would make Sharon stand out. I was lucky. That's That is what made it stand out, I guess.
1: Steven Soderbergh made an iPhone feature in 2018 called Unsane with Claire Foy from The Crown as his lead and it was shot on an iPhone 7 Plus. The film was made for around, I think, $1.2 million, and Soderbergh then went on to make the Netflix film High Flying Bird on an iPhone 8, the same as yours. Did you take any of those behind-the-scenes information from those two films into consideration before shooting yours?
0: I didn't. You know, I actually, I had actually only ever watched one film that I think was shot on a phone and it was tangerine. I definitely will have to ask everyone to pardon my ignorance is I didn't even realize that it's become a movement to shoot films on mobile filmmaking is a whole movement that's happening. And it makes total sense, but I guess I didn't realize that there was a whole community that had formed around it and people in the industry who are really focused on this particular thing in Soderbergh, of course you know, is is like the it's the, the bar currently. So I hadn't watched I hadn't watched those films. I probably should have. To be honest, like the Sharon was was really an impulsive decision of mine. I, I barely did any research into other projects that it might be like. I you know, when I when I called it vomit at the beginning, you know, India like I say that with affection, you know, when I wrote the script as if it were vomit it just kind of came out of me. That's kind of my approach to the the whole film was as soon as I wrote the script, I just started shooting it. And then when I started shooting it, it was my focus of every single day. I'd wake up and then I would, I had broken up the script in terms of the scenes I wanted to shoot um, that day. And I treated every day like a shoot day that I had to make. It was like, I have to get to the, like, I didn't cut myself any slack. I'm like, I have to shoot. I have to get all the shots in up until where I marked in the script was supposed to be my day. And then as soon as I did that, I'd watch the quote unquote dailies or the rushes flat on my back in my phone, uh, in my bed, you know, just staring at my phone. And then I just started editing, doing assembly edits. So that was my day every single day, get up, shoot, shower, lie in bed and edit. And I did that for six weeks continuously, lost a lot of weight. It kind of became an obsession. So in retrospect, do I wish I had watched the Soderbergh movie and, and, uh, or maybe done some more research? Uh, I think I would have intimidated myself, to be honest. So I kind of, I'm glad I didn't. (laughs)
1: Well, let's roll this back a little bit. You decided you're going to make this film with that light bulb moment in lockdown. It's one thing to say that you're going to make a film under all of these restrictions, but it's another thing to execute it. The story fell out of you in four days, and now it's time to prep what you're going to do. But the real question you are probably asking yourself at this point is, can I actually shoot this film on an iPhone? Can it be done with what I have? You have to solution solve with technology and then you have to have the confidence within yourself to say, yes, I can do it. So let's just get on and do it.
0: Yeah, that was that was the question that drove me, really, because the stakes were non-existent. You know, it wasn't like there were, you know, it wasn't like there was a sales agent waiting for me to deliver, you know, so they could take it to market. Yes. You know, it wasn't like there was a money person demanding to see, you know, a, a cut of it. It was really just completely the purest form of passion project and um, the challenges that you're talking about, like the, can I do it challenge was so much of the fun of it. Like what I wanted to do was approach this film, this cell phone film, like an actual movie. Right. So I like the way I would, any of my other projects, I've, I've made a, a quote unquote real film back in 2011 and sold it internationally and everything. It's on DVD, it's on VOD. So it was like, how do I replicate as closely as I can, the processes that go into making a real film, how do I replicate those on a phone in my apartment with no crew, no actors, no, (laughs) (laughs) nothing, right? Um, And so there was some of the fun stuff was like, I'm like, man, this shot would be really great with a camera movement. And it's like, there's no one to move the camera. So how do I do it? And it was like, okay, I got to frame the shot really, really wide so that I could punch in digitally on my editing app. And I did use an app, a phone app. And make sure i can kind of digitally create that movement like i have enough space so like the shot list became really important like i actually had to know exactly how i wanted to cut the thing together and and to know where i wanted movement without having anyone being able to move the camera like those those things you know ended up making the whole thing feel like a fun game right I, i didn't have professional lights at all in my apartment and i suppose i could have rented them and had them delivered um although i mean i that's the other thing is a lot of the rental All of the rental houses had closed down during lockdown, right? Who's shooting anything? What I found was like a cell phone has really, really, uh, iPhone 8 was what I shot on, doesn't handle low light really well. And so a lot of the shots that I had just ended up being very grainy and ended up being part of the look of the film. But there were certain scenes where I knew that certain details had to be picked up, but they had to look like they were in the dark. So how do I light something like that? And what I came up with was, for example, I used my laptop screen because I didn't have gels and I didn't have proper lights. I would download the color blue. I would just download blue and then make my full screen blue and crank the brightness up on my laptop and then put it where I needed Hmm. it to be. And voila, I have like the equivalent of a, you know, a, a small light source with a blue gel on it. It was a lot of that kind of stuff to make this film happen. And You know, it was very rewarding. It was more guerrilla than I've ever had to shoot a film in the last, you know, possibly 20 years of my life. And I want to come
1: back to the camera with the way that you set up the positions of the frame. It had this sort of quality of voyeurism to it because we are constantly watching you in the apartment. Was that a deliberate or subconscious thing from your end?
0: I've gotten that feedback quite a lot that the voyeuristic aspect of it is part of the intrigue. It wasn't really a consideration when I was framing up the shots, only because I'm in LA, these apartments are just not big. So it's very limited in like camera placement in a lot of ways, right? So it ended up just ultimately being that I often had to dirty up the shot by shooting through something because that's just where the things were, you know, or shooting past something or bringing the camera in real close because if I'm getting a shot where I'm like kneeling in front of a cabinet, Uh, You know, the cabinet's only so deep, so I can only put the phone as far back as, you know, as physical space allows. So the space ended up creating, uh, the limitations in the space ended up creating the limitations of where I could place camera, which ended up creating the aesthetic that you're talking about. It's another one of those really happy surprises.
1: Jennifer, the way that you acted in your film, for me watching, it looked like this would be one hell of an acting lesson for an actor. For example, when you set up a frame, you have to work out the beats within the frame. So if an actor has the camera on them and they're delivering a piece of dialogue, yes, they can say the words in a static way. That is the end of the scene, which over a period and duration of something like this over a feature, it can become pretty boring. But you gave this a lot of thought as to how you could extend a scene or a moment within a frame by movement, by some of the gestures that you made, the pausations, which made it far more interesting to watch. So talk about that, especially when you first started, because no doubt it's something that you became better at as time went along.
0: Yes, and I'm I'm actually so flattered and and like honored that you noticed all that, and that you're the first person I've ever talked to who acknowledge the thought that went into the having to act and shoot it at the same time. Honestly, so that that question I really appreciate, like knowing that I I had to match frame and match cut and stuff when I was editing. The acting challenge was really like you know, do the performance, but also make sure that a certain movement happened at exactly the same time every time I did dialogue, knowing I had to cut it with the next shot and that I'm not a great editor, but I, so I definitely had to make things easy for myself with that kind of forethought. I will say it turned the whole thing into a much bigger acting challenge than I anticipated because the last thing you want to do as an actor is to be thinking about the shots (laughs) and to be thinking about, you know, your, your movement cues to facilitate the editing, even in between takes and even like delivery to have to, to know that I had to be consistent with a certain delivery every single time um, because of the way I wanted things edited. uh, There's just so much restrictions on the performance. And then that's not even talking about like, doing a take, doing a powerful take that I, an emotional take and then having to hit stop, you know, having to 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 stop the footage and go and check it and then like getting mm. back in front of the camera and trying to get back into character. That whiplash just ended up being exhausting. The acting should have been the fun part.
1: One thing that we've discussed a lot on the podcast about is long takes, a wanna extending a scene as much as possible so there is continuity for the actor. It tends to play more often than not, so much more authentic for a scene if you're able to do that. But you didn't have that luxury because no one was at the end of the camera saying action. So it was all really down to you to turn on and off that performance, which isn't a normal situation. And it's also an added piece of stress.
0: Yes, it was to to have to constantly interrupt myself and to activate another part of my brain to like you know, check the shot and see if it accomplished what I wanted it to do. And even to, you know, and the other damaging thing, you never want an actor to be able to see how they did, right? They start, they start making adjustments to their performance. And in this case, I had to constantly be watching what I just did because I'm checking the frame.
1: Yeah, that's because you've got your director's hat on, you are setting up the camera in your apartment, but then you have to step into the frame and suddenly switch to actor mode and that's a real break in roles and in some ways can kick you out of your own performance because of the two things that you're doing, director and actor. So how challenging was that for you?
0: Exactly. It, and it was a oh, it was so much it was so much worse of a challenge than I thought it would be. Because <laughs> there were there were days that I would do the performance, hate it, get back behind the camera to see what I did, not like what I did make an adjustment after I framed it up again, what in front of the camera, and then the adjustment would make it worse. It's that thing is when you're when you're no longer acting natural and you're acting in a technical way because of what you just saw, it would be that every subsequent take would get worse and worse and worse. And because I was trying to treat it like a real production where I have to make my day, uh, which was really a uh, (laughs) self-imposed, a self-imposed thing, it would still nonetheless made me feel like I was failing. So I went through so many weird emotions, making this as if the stakes were high. And I know, you know, early I said there were no stakes. It just, the longer the project went on, the more the, the stakes felt like they were there because I had captured so much more of the movie. So it got pretty intense. Just me in my apartment, stressing myself out for no reason, beating myself up emotionally, (laughs) criticizing myself losing weight. It was horrible.
1: But you have to have a schedule, right? Because the schedule is the discipline that you put upon yourself to get the film made.
0: Precisely. Uh, I've been part of like Friends projects, you know, out in LA, everybody everybody's always shooting something. And I've been part of Friends projects where they take like two years just sporadically shooting on weekends, you know, and, and it's a disaster. You really can't treat filmmaking like that if you want to be serious about it. So,
1: And I want to talk about the antagonist in your film, Eric, who you record his performance over Skype. He is never in the room with you. So how long were you into the shoot before Eric came into the filming schedule?
0: I had the luxury with this movie because it was all in one location to shoot it chronologically, which is an incredible mm. luxury, right? Um, mm-hmm. And the only, the only thing that I didn't do chronologically was all of Eric's scenes. So Eric Eric Raddick, it's a great, great actor. Um, he plays the antagonist, right? He plays Sharon's boyfriend who's manipulating her via video conferencing, v- via Skype, because he calls in every day. And because he's the main thing that she cares about, there's a lot of power in him not calling in, like knowing that she's being driven mad when she doesn't have that contact. I thought a meaty role for an actor to a cool acting challenge to be able to like wield that power over video and video conferencing. Turns out a lot of actors that I know did not see it that way. (laughs) Did not see it as, yeah, did not see it as a project worth doing. Um, But this was of course, without seeing, seeing the script, I think had they, they would have understood a little bit better. So, by the time I started shooting it, I realized, you know, I'm not going to be able to schedule this shoot around the availability of an actor because at the time I started shooting it, no one had bitten yet. So my plan at that point was just to book out an actor for a full week at the end of whatever this is and just shoot their every single one of their scenes back-to-back, like on back-to-back days. And it, it wasn't until maybe I'd gotten two weeks into shooting before Eric was the actor who decided that he wanted to do it and i had three other actors who were interested initially and uh, it's actually kind of a funny funny story but like the first i guess it's not a story but one actor was interested in doing it and then he got quarantined with his girlfriend and then he wasn't comfortable acting this role in front of his girlfriend i had an actor who was keen to do it and then he started getting nervous about what sag would say because it was a non-union shoot obviously whereas initially it was like he was so excited to be able to act while everything was on hold then reality kicks in and he's like well if this ever does anything then it could you know bite him in the ass i had another actor who decided he wanted to just do his own quarantine project and then eric was the fourth actor so it was like that whole thing about approaching somebody and having them deliberate and then not it 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 kind of pushed everything to the point where by the middle of the movie i still didn't have a co-star
1: eric did a great job well done eric
0: Yeah, he was, he was phenomenal. And the thing is, he was an actor. This is this is the weirdest thing about quarantine was, he was an actor that I had met six years ago, and never had not like hung out with him or, you know, seen him in person since then, then he does this project with me, we end up making this whole movie together and getting really close and being really good friends just through video conferencing, right? And just like acting this role uh, remotely. You know, and then a whole year goes by after we finish shooting it before quarantine lifts, and we, t- we just marvel constantly. It's like we're such good friends now over the experience of making this movie, and we haven't seen each other in, like, at this point, like seven or eight years. Bizarre. But I'm so grateful to- for him because he um, he really understood the character, and he's very menacing on, on screen. And I-, I think it was surprising to all of us how you know, like a good actor can do that just even over something like a Skype window.
1: I think with actors self-testing so much these days for auditions, even before the virus turned up, has probably helped a lot of actors adapt to these types of roles, giving a performance, in this case, through Skype.
0: That's true, yeah. Everything, even all through quarantine, you know, when they had to send in their tapes and stuff, it was more and of more of it is not in the room. It's all remote. Yeah, so that's true. Mm.
1: And the iPhone that you're filming on is light. So how much of a problem with your performance, keeping that in mind with vibrations from your movement around the apartment, how much of that movement with the iPhone corrupted different takes as a result of blowing a shot? Because a footstep or whatever created movement, which then caused the shot to be lost or rendered no good.
0: Yeah, so gosh, yeah. Uh... Wow you really you really know this you really know this stuff you really know the mobile filmmaking uh...
1: <laughs> no, I don't at all. In fact, you're the first person I've spoken to about this, but I'm just thinking logically that even a shoot with a larger camera, you have to think about this but for your shoot because the iPhone is so light and you probably didn't have any small sandbag to weight the tripod down, the tripod is just sitting there sort of open to all of these problems with movement.
0: Yes. So there were a number of really, really big technical issues with shooting on a light camera, you know, the cell phone camera. One, um, exactly what you're talking about, footsteps would cause the whole thing to shake. Because I didn't have anyone behind the camera Uh, I had to like hit record and step in front of it. Oftentimes it couldn't find focus doing my whole performance unbeknownst to me, completely out of focus. Uh, If there was a light source in the room that was, you know, messing with it, sometimes it would like go to the light source and then it would jitter back and forth. It would just darken and lighten. It would darken and lighten the shot just kind of like in a strobing way throughout the entire performance. There were so many issues with it that I couldn't see because I wasn't standing behind it that made this so much more challenging. So the footsteps being certainly one of them.
1: And some of the autofocusing of the phone trying to find you in the frame where it does that phase in phase out thing I think for a lot of people, that creates an effect in their mind of a type of haziness of the mind of the protagonist, like an unstable moment in her mind. She isn't clear. And even a filmmaker like myself, I did buy into the premise of this being possible. So it kind of works in an unexpected way.
0: Yes, absolutely. I, I definitely, there was so much surrender that went into this particular filmmaking process because I'd step behind and check what I just shot and I would see that the phone had done that and Mm. I had to keep an open mind where I was like well that's not how I pictured the scene would look but it really works exactly the way that you're describing it looks like she's having difficulty focusing like it's like a visual representation of um, what might be happening in our mind. So, you know, I'm a, I'm a control freak. So this was like an emotional exercise for me to be like, open my mind to whether or not that works. I'm like, yeah, I could let it go. I could let go of my vision for this shot because what it captured was interesting, you know? And interesting is going to be better than precise in, in, in a lot of those cases. So um, I'm really glad you, <laughs> I'm really glad that that I, I. it sounds like I kind of pulled it off because I was worried that it would look just novice.
1: Yeah, well, I think if you're fighting that, it can go on right through the entire shoot, and it just becomes counterproductive.
0: Right, exactly. It was infuriating in a lot of ways initially. There were some fun ways that I found to get around stuff, too, because because of the way Eric's performance is, which is on a computer screen, which is brightly lit, and then in scenes where everything around it was dark, except maybe a lamp in the background... I could get the camera to find its focus by hitting record and then sticking my foot mm-hmm. <laughs> right in front of my computer monitor so that it would find my foot. like it would focus on my foot and then pull my foot away so that it would stay focused on the computer monitor for the duration of the shot. It was just one of the weird, quirky things that I, I had to devise to get through this.
1: And you talked earlier about the push-in that you did on yourself was created through an app. So it's a digital device in post.
0: Yeah, it, and that that's the most... It's the most deceptive thing about this film is that a lot of the people that watch it think that I had somebody shooting it for me.
1: <laughs> well, that's a great compliment to you.
0: Yeah, I'm glad they thought that because I had to pre-plan which shots I wanted movement in and make sure I framed it out wide enough so that I could incorporate that movement But it was all app based, like everything that I was doing was the idea from the start was I had this app that edits cell phone footage. And if I'm doing everything on a cell phone anyway and shooting it all on a cell phone, if I just hit import in this app uh, on the footage that's already on the phone, it would just save. it, It just became like a streamlined process to shoot or to to edit it on a phone app. As opposed to exporting it to like Dropbox and importing it on a computer and then dragging it onto a timeline, which isn't you know that's is not more trouble than anyone would have to do with a regular camera and regular editing software, but in this case because I wanted to hold myself to a tight timeline and I wanted to see if it was even possible, that's what I chose to do at the very beginning. And then once I started doing it, I was just kind of stuck editing on a, I, an app.
1: <laughs> well, I think most people will be blown away that you've edited this entire feature film on an app on your phone. And coming back to an earlier comment that you made at the end of a day's shoot, you would be lying on your bed at night editing your movie on this
0: app. Is that right? Yep, with my finger just just lying there squinting at my phone, tapping at my screen with a finger and editing a feature film. <laughs> and it was in retrospect it was really foolhardy to do that and really reckless because the app that I was using was never intended to sh- to edit movies of any sort. It's a an app specifically designed to make social media videos.
1: So, the person who's developed this app, what what have they said about your efforts with their product?
0: Oh, yeah. So <laughs> Like the unintentional thing about the unintentional, wonderful thing about this app being designed for social media is that it builds in a lot of things, like a robust suite of things that you wouldn't think an app would have. But if you look at the way social media videos are now, the bar is really high. There are transitions. There's like effects you can do. You can add captions. You can add lower thirds. You can add movement, right? Uh, Digital zooms, pans, like social media videos are now at such a high bar that this social media app had all these things built into it that in traditional editing software wouldn't be as turnkey because you would be doing it with more precision but when i looked at what this app could do and realized how it could elevate like a cell phone shot movie to look like an actual movie that's kind of it's like the thing that it was designed for was inadvertently also perfect for making a movie where i didn't have like after effects skills what I didn't know while I was editing it in the app was whether or not this app was even capable of exporting a 73-minute project <laughs>
1: because, yes.
0: because, you know, like Instagram's limit is one minute, right? <laughs> yes. Right. I, th- I think you can get up to three minutes on TikTok. So it was the big unknown. It was the big question in my mind the whole time I was putting the project together on this. And, and the app just kept letting me add more and more footage onto the timeline. It didn't seem to give me a limit you know before mm. i ended up having like a 73 minute thing that i could export the most nerve-wracking thing was hitting that export button and seeing if it was just <laughs> going to tell me to fuck off
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes. so,
0: and it just started exporting in 4k
1: and that was my next question did you shoot this on 4k or 1080
0: well i was able to to export it in 4k but ultimately like it didn't make a difference because of the way like some of the low light footage um looks really grainy. It just ended up making more sense to to export the final project as a ten eighty. It wasn't gonna make it better or worse a, as a four k project. But um it did export it as a four k project initially, which is shocking. And then I would say the first person that got the movie was the app developer. For some reason in my head, I was like, he just needs to see what his app is capable of. Yes. Um, and he watched it the same day by by the evening, he had sent me an email, and right. the email was like, this was incredible. I didn't even know that our app could do this.
1: <laughs> so talk about the storage files and how you stored all of the data of your film.
0: This was like probably the biggest sacrifice I had to make was I, I cleared my entire phone off. Every picture, every saved message, every video, I like emptied my phone. My phone became a movie making machine it just my entire photo album camera roll was just footage from this movie and all the additional space and processing power went into editing the movie so it was just all stored on the phone from from beginning to end and on the app the way it was organized was you know i treated every individual scene in the movie like its own miniature project file. So mm. I had like everything organized by scene number and it had to match up with what I had in the script. It had to it had to be very, very, very highly organized because what I did was then I imported every in, exported every individual scene as its individual project, re-imported it on a timeline while I was editing it, that was like the master timeline. So really unconventional way to put a movie together, but that's that's kind of how it came together was every scene became a short film.
1: Well, you got there and you completed your film despite the hurdles that you had to overcome. And then all of the good stuff started to happen with film festivals. Tell me what has happened since you completed the film, because I think you've won awards for the film now. Is that right?
0: Yeah, I, I owe this to my manager, Larry Robinson. So when I made it and I watched it, I went, this turned out pretty good. And I hope the people on YouTube think so as well. <laughs> I, was, I was ready just to toss it up on YouTube. For fun, I sent it to my manager and he called me like the instant he stopped, you know, he finished watching it and he, you know, he was like, stop. (laughs) He's like, don't put this on YouTube because I think you did something here. (laughs) He thought it was festival worthy and I was really skeptical because to me it was the mindset I had the whole time was it was a fun challenge. It was a fun acting challenge. It was a fun game. I was proud of myself for having gotten to the end of it to have made it as professional as I could. I, I felt like it was impressive. Um, but I didn't think it was festival worthy, but he made me enter it in a bunch of festivals. And I was shocked at the the number of festivals right off the bat that it got accepted to alongside like traditional movies that were not shot on a phone. And a lot of these festivals didn't know I'd shot it on a phone. It did seem like they didn't care, to be honest, because in some of the festivals where I won, I would message them and say, like, by the way, this is <laughs> shot on a phone. And the responses I got were like, oh, good for you. <laughs> Right, Like no one really knew what to do with that information I guess is is go- a good thing at the end of the day but where I got the most attention was there's a, a festival that's been running for ten years called the International Mobile Film Festival and the organizer of that is a woman named Susie Batello who has been championing the idea for a decade now that the future of movies of independent film was going to be on cell phones like mm-hmm. the the idea that this becomes a movie making tool that literally everybody has, and they're just walking around. and They can tell their story instantly. So she's she's been she's been like a you know the vanguard of that. She's she's like kind of waived that standard for a while, and sh- her festival awarded my film best feature. She wow. started, yeah, she started promoting it um, because she she went above and beyond when it came to investigating whether or not I had pioneered something and i feel i feel kind of like embarrassed saying that because in a way i wish i'd been conscious about the fact that i had been pioneering something you know coming off like the full triumphant here which you know Mm -hmm. whatever i'm glad to, to, to apply that label i was pretty foolish making this whole thing, but she started asking around and it turns out that no one had ever edited a feature on a phone before. And it wasn't that when I was doing it, I thought I was being edgy. I, I really, it was just a matter of like the, the process being streamlined. So word started getting out uh, via Susie that I might've been the first that I am the first person to have ever edited a feature on a phone in addition to shooting it. And then another festival called the London International, the smarts London International Film Festival got wind of it and then had me do a bunch of talks through their festival where it was an official selection. Um, it didn't end up winning there, but um, I did end up being the, the main speaker in the feature film category. Great exposure. It was great exposure and, and those those, you know uh, in addition to all the other festivals, I was getting the official selections in and, and wins in for for the acting and for the you know for the narrative and for this the script. I, I guess this is just how it happens, right? It started getting enough buzz that my manager was able to so basically he, he realized it's, it's worthy of going out and selling in the international film market. So the last three days have kind of been insane for me <laughs> 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 because of all the things I've ever done in my career, because I've been producing for different companies. I made a feature film a decade ago, which didn't really go anywhere other than all the standard places, right? Just DVD and VOD. I never would have anticipated that the thing that would have put me on the map would be this cell phone movie, (laughs)
1: Well, it's not just the iPhone, Jennifer, but rather the whole ambition of putting all of this together with a one location shoot, all of the restrictions that moulded this film together in a restricted cooker pressure kind of a way that through all of your limitations, you've been able to create something to be proud of.
0: Yeah, it really is like miraculous in a way. I feel so lucky. None of, none of it was planned. And there's a lot of stuff that I, I do where I, I do have a strategy where I'm like, oh, I'm going to put together a PR strategy for this and hopefully get it some buzz. And, and none of that was in place at all for this. <laughs> like not a, not a single thought beyond just making it. I, I used to mock people for the idea of if you build it, they will come. You know, hmm. I mean, I don't mean mock is a strong word, but I, I would definitely like chastise people where I'm like, no, you have to have you have to have a plan for what happens after you make it. I've been the most annoying vocal person about that aspect of it, where it's like the real work begins after you make the movie. Now I'm eating my own words because hmm. <laughs> nothing that's happening with it is is anything that I planned. Um, I'm so I'm so grateful. I mean, who can predict really what ends up resonating with people? But but I appreciate that that, you know, you you. Um, you're right, it isn't just the cell phone aspect. I mean, if I were, if I were to guess, like the, the, I'm hoping what people are picking up on is the passion behind it, and the, as well as just like the, the planning and, and the fact that I followed through with it.
1: Obviously, it was a steep learning curve throughout the production. Now, if you had to go back again and do everything all over again, what are some of the things that you would do differently for our indie filmmakers to take advice from?
0: Gosh, I'm, I'm about to like contradict myself and I hope that's okay. What I would do differently is I would have definitely put more thought into some of those shots. I, I ended up prioritizing making the day over the art on certain days. There were certain days where I was just like, well, just get whatever it is that I want to get in frame and don't think too much about the shot because I don't have time to think about it. I need to get everything. I had I to get all of my coverage. Had I known that it was going to be as big a deal as it is now, and not that it's a huge deal, but it's certainly a much bigger deal than I thought it would be. There are a lot of shots where I was like, "Shoot, I should have put a little bit more care into that." And had I give it t- gave it ten more minutes of thought, I would have come up with a better shot for that. But by the flip side of that coin, though, I'm grateful that I didn't put too much thought into it. And mm-hmm. it was like the 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 just do it uh, spirit that got me to the end of the project. Uh, I owe a lot of my ability to get to the end of the project to the idea that I was just like, well, I got it in the can and don't think too much of, about it. Just move forward, just progress, get to the next stage, get to the next day, get to the end of the shoot, get to the end of the editing. I think a lot, my, I guess my, the advice that comes off of that is like people get really, really stymied, especially independent filmmakers or people just starting off by wanting perfection from the start. And this is true of writers, screenwriters too where it's like you keep writing the same 10 pages, rewriting them over and over again, because they're not perfect, as opposed to prioritizing getting to the end of your script. So I feel like it was like the very thing that I wish I could do over again is also the same thing. I'm glad I did (laughs) the way I did it.
1: Yes, it's a juxtaposition. Who knows how the end result might have been had you attacked this in a different way?
0: Yeah, had I had I gone and watched the whole thing over again and went, God, this looks like these shots look like garbage. I'm just gonna try to reshoot them and re-edit it, you know, I, I could potentially still be doing it to this day.
1: Well, Jennifer Zhang, thank you for shining the light onto film production with an iPhone and lots of practical advice for filmmakers to think about when embarking down the road of making their iPhone films. And thank you for coming on to shoot it now.
0: I'm so grateful and so honored you had me. You had me on the show. Thank you for letting me talk about it. You've been listening to Shoot It Now with Craig Newland, your weekly podcast about all things behind the camera and in front of it. Until next time,
1: have a great week.